Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. Have you been led well this morning? I believe so. Amen. Isn't that just just uplifting, powerful? It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. And uh, happy fall. I know technically it's not fall, but Labor Day kind of marks the end of the summer, right? Some of you are just looking at me, boo. Yeah, I'm like a, I'm a fall weather guy, so... I enjoy maybe about a month of summer and then I'm ready for cooler nights and for this to just happen. And so uh, I'm looking forward to it. We had, a, we had a, a college football kicked off. Buckeyes kicked off yesterday. Others, right? They don't actually play anyone hard on the first week. But, uh, oh, Michigan too played. And as we move into fall, and, and the sights and sounds, and the, the, it's, it's around us, the smell of the fall, it's coming. And I'm more of an NFL guy, uh, I, and that's next weekend, but my parents have this tradition. We, we grew up Vikings fans. It's, it's a thing, but um, we're not from Minnesota. But every, every, every uh, first Sunday, kickoff Sunday of, of the season, we have chili and cornbread and uh, it's just kind of a, a transition for us. Um, but one, one person that's not going to be taking the field this year, Tom Brady, right? 23 years, he retired. He's done. Many of you are like, I don't, I don't even know who that is. I hope you do. The dude is a seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Pro Bowl or Super Bowl MVP, three-time NFL Most Valuable Player, two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year. And let me tell you a little bit about Tom Brady. If you don't know about him, good. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it for a second here. Because let me tell you something. This guy didn't win Super Bowls by himself. From time to time, he had big, big names. He played for the Patriots, right, for the most part. But for a lot of his career, he had a bunch of just average guys around him. He had a bunch of guys that... that uh, a bunch of teammates that came together, the offensive line protecting him and wide receivers catching passes and defense backing him up. And he knew that to achieve the highest goal, seven Super Bowls shows, shows it, that he had to rely on others. He had to achieve extraordinary success. They achieved extraordinary success because of it. You see, what made Tom Brady great wasn't his individual talent, or whether he may or may not have cheated, depending on who, what team you root for. It was his ability to work within a team and to elevate those around him. And I think football is one of the most complicated, complex sports that relies on group effort, team effort, right? I mean, basketball, there's, you're one of five. You can kind of get away with you know, being a hot shot. But football, you got to rely on your teammates, I didn't play football. I know you're surprised. <laughs> but it doesn't mean I don't know about it. And he knew how to work within a team and elevate those around him. 
And as we close out Colossians today, we come across a bunch of names. That's where we're at, Colossians 4. If you have a Bible app, you can open up, events tab. You can find, find the sermon notes for today. Much like the credits of the end of a movie. We see the supporting cast. We don't know much about these people overall, but they, they meant something to Paul. Each person mentioned played a unique role in advancing the message of Christ. And Paul knew early on that for the church to flourish, the Holy Spirit had to be in it, and he had to rely on other people. He never tried to do it on his own. And so he wrote to the Colossians, and he, he wrote with a primary purpose to bring hope to the people of Colossae, and to let them know that without a doubt, Christ is supreme, right? And they were facing challenges and, 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 and facing false teachings on, from, an, from, from the outside. And he wanted to encourage them to stand strong. And so Paul offers some encouragement to them. And so, so starting in verse 7 today, through the, rest of the, through the rest of the chapter, we see the supporting cast. We see those people that he equipped and that he, 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 he got the most out of them. People that he brought alongside him. And so before we do that, I want to spend some time reflecting on where we've been. In chapter one, right? So this is like a 13-week season. This is at the beginning of summer that we, we went through this. Paul writes that, that, God is, that Jesus Christ is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and the head of the church, that he's the image of the invisible God, that God is in the flesh with us, right? Emmanuel, he dwelled among us. We talk about a lot about this at Christmas time, right? That just the power of that and the beauty and the mystery of that, that he's the firstborn of all creation. And what does it mean to, have a, to, to be the firstborn? Back then you had rights, but you also had responsibilities to be the firstborn. And so, and, and, and Jesus Christ is that, that, that he earned, he had the right Right, he, he is deity. He is in the flesh also. Fully God, fully man. But he also had the responsibility to come down to save mankind. To, do for, to be the, the, the atoning sacrifice for us. Something we could never do on our own. He knew his responsibility as a firstborn. And head of the church. Christ is head over all. We are the body, right? Paul loves this imagery. He loves using it. And then in verse two, or chapter 2. Paul tells them that they are built up in Christ, that they are one in Christ, that salvation is found in Christ. Paul's concerned for their spiritual well-being and warns against those outside the church, trying to persuade them to add a bunch of garbage to their beliefs, a bunch of worldly stuff. He says, hey, this isn't, this isn't what it's about, that you are built up in Christ alone, and Christ alone is where salvation is found, and he tries to encourage them and edify them and, and, and equip them. For that. Chapter three is all about putting on the new self. This is where this is where Paul's letter gets practical, right? Chapter one, who Christ is. Chapter two, what he does. And chapter three, what it begins to do within us. He says, put on the new self by setting your mind on the things above and not on earthly things, right? This idea that life in Christ is transformative. It transforms us from the inside out. 
Verse 17, that, that, almost a key verse of that, that whole chapter is that whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God our Father. This is where Pastor Dave, remember this, whatever you do, do it for the Lord, right? In your homes, in your workplaces, wherever you find yourself, chapter three was all about doing it for the Lord, Setting our, setting our mind on things above, being transformed from the inside out because of who Christ is. In chapter four last week, Justin led it off by, by sharing. Paul reminds his listeners to be devoted in prayer, to, be, to have this attitude of thanksgiving, to be graceful in speech, being wise, sound in our judgment and how we interact with the world around us for perseverance. Paul's hope for them was to stay steadfast in prayer in thanksgiving. And so today, as we move into chapter 4, verse 7, we, we, we come to the end of our time here. And we've got a lot of verses to get through today, but it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a character study, if you will. Today might feel a little bit different. We're going to talk about the people behind Paul. The people who, who, who supported him, who had their own ministries, who had their own things. I'm guessing none of your life verses come out of the, cha- the, the verses that we're going to read today, okay? You probably don't have any of these on the wall at home. They're a bunch of random names with people that we don't even know. They're hard to pronounce. We don't even know if some of these are, are men or women based on the translation that you read. But these are Paul's people. This is Paul's team. These are his credits. And this is our text today. And so, Father, we come before you today and we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, I pray that we'd be filled with your spirit today as we uh, sing songs of adoration and thanksgiving and, um, and strengthening one another. And, and Lord, I pray that, that you give us fresh eyes to see your word today, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pure in your sight, O oh God. Lord, we pray that, I pray that these words would fall on fertile soil, that while we talk about the people that made up Paul's ministry, God, that it would not be lost on us, that Christianity is a team effort, that life in Christ is a team effort. There's no mavericks here, not even Paul. And so we hold fast to your word today, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, so yeah, Colossians 4, verse 7. We'll start there. And we read together, it says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. He's your people. They will inform you about the whole situation here. The two are coming. I'm sending them. They're going to tell you what's going on. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. Not Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is called Justice. He wanted to make sure you knew that 
These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. They're Jews. They're three Jews that, that, is, that are working with Paul in the ministry. They're converted. And they, will, they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, one who is of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Again, Epaphras from, from their church. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Areopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans and you who are part of my letter that is coming, you read part of my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He transcribed a lot of this, right? He had a hard time writing and seeing and so he, he wrote it. He's chains. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. People of God, say amen. And so here we have a character study of sorts today of the people behind Paul, this team behind him. You know, if we're not careful, we can be tempted to think that Paul is this maverick, this, this individual, nonconformist, free spirit who goes wherever he wishes and in this one-man show of, of who, who single-handedly expanded the church of God, right? We see so many of the letters that, that Paul wrote and, and how powerful they are. And it's like, this guy's just, nothing's stopping him. He's responsible for writing much of the New Testament. We, we get a lot of our theology and we, have, we could have the temptation to think that this Paul is larger than life. But while he had a unique call, he was just following after Christ. He's not much different from us in that sense. He's not a God. And so he's writing, and, he, and, and at the end, we see this, this personification of Paul as he's, as he's writing in a jail cell, and he's, he's just thinking of the people that have meant so much to him and the prayers that he has for this church and others. And remember that while, while, God was call, or while Paul was called by God to fulfill this powerful role that he's only human, and what we see in here is that Paul elevated others to greatness. He knew how to take people and lead them well. Led by the Spirit, of course. Paul knew how to disciple. And as we, as we look through Acts and as we look through the letters and the accounts of Paul, we, we see that he's always equipping someone. He's always uh, bringing someone along, preparing them, sending them out. He's, he's kind of running point on a lot of things and a lot of people serve alongside him and, and, and do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom of God. And my hope for you today is that you see that life in Christ, Christianity, this community is a team effort. 
that there's no mavericks, not even Paul. That we're in this together. And so we begin with our first name on the board, Tychicus. I love this. I'm rethinking if we have more kids. I got some ideas this week as I read some of these names. Tychicus is mentioned in the Bible five times. He's always doing something for Paul. This time he's the mailman. Later on, um, some believe that he, he went to, uh, to be a fill-in pastor for Titus when, when Paul called Titus. And, and Paul calls him his trusted friend, this, this friend, this, this brother, this servant minister. Paul needs someone that he can trust to take the letter to the people to, of Colossae, right? And so he says, Tychicus, I believe in you. You've proven yourself loyal. Would you take this letter? You see, you see, he was around to do whatever Paul needed for Christ. The reason these letters got to where they needed to be and why they've inspired so many people, even thousands of years later, is because Tychicus was a willing servant of Paul. Paul didn't do this. Tychicus did. And not only this, but what do we find? Let's look back. Okay, so he's bringing it. He's, yes, this is who he is, beloved uh, brother, faithful servant, will bring you information. Then what else is he sent to do? For the very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Not only was he just saying, here's your, here's your letter, sign and, sign and here's your receipt. He was an exhorter. He was coming, he was delivering them the words of Paul, but he was also bringing them encouragement. Again, what were they faced against? They were faced with some outside pressure, right? And he knew he could trust on Tychicus to not only carry the news that Paul had about Christ, about the authority of Christ, but also that he could be an encouragement to them, that he could exhort them. So Tychicus, trusted and reliable, the exhorter, a servant's heart. We move on, Onesimus. There's so much here behind these people. It's, it's beautiful. Onesimus, he was once a slave of Philemon. How many of you heard of that book? Okay. Well, in Tychicus's back pocket, he also has a letter for him. He was a runaway slave of Philemon. This man, Onesimus, was one of them. He was part of their, their group. He was part of the church and he ran away. He decided, to, he decided to flee. He wanted out of that life. And, 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 and it says that, that Onesimus is accompanying Tychicus back to, this, to, to these group of people. Um, in that culture, that was certain death for him because uh, uh, the, the punishment for a runaway slave was execution. But what does Paul say about him? Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother. He's not a slave anymore. And his plea for, to Philemon was that he would also no longer see him as a slave, but, but receive him as a faithful, beloved brother in the Lord. Does it start to make sense about the slaves and masters and who Paul might have been trying to appeal to when Dave preached a couple weeks ago of this, of this oneness and how to honor slaves, honor your masters, masters, honor, honor slaves and, and, and do these things? He's appealing to Philemon and so many others. This, this biblical principle. Onesimus had a sinful past. But it was redeemed in Christ. And now he's sent back to these people. And, but what does Paul say? Um, who's one of you? They will inform you of the whole situation here. 
He actually, in Philemon, he wants him back. <laughs> he, wants to, he wants to continue co-laboring with him. Aristarchus. Aristarchus. This man. Fellow prisoner. Paul writes of him. Aristarchus was a burden bearer for Paul. He was, he, was, uh, he was guilty by association with Paul. He was a fellow prisoner just because he was with Paul. He was serving alongside Paul. He was trying to, he was, he was, he was carrying the heavy burdens of ministry alongside Paul. And where the Spirit led Paul, Aristarchus was off, off, often found, and when he was thrown in prison, it was because he was associated with Paul, because that's how it was back then, that you were just guilty by association. And Paul was not a good guy to be associated with if you weren't all in on Christ, because it was going to be hard. He was a burden bearer. He had a sympathetic heart. He ministered for a time with Paul in Ephesus for three years. He was with Paul through imprisonment. Aristarchus was built to sit in the second chair, to co-pilot with Paul in certain missions. You see, behind any great leader, you look behind and you see the burden bearers. You see those who have come alongside us. I'm starting to see that in my own life. At times where ministry is weighted and things are happening. Some of you are just burden bearers. Like, hey, what's the Lord leading you in? Let's do it. Let's do it together. I'm with you. And this theme is found throughout Scripture. I was one of the greatest leaders of all time, Moses. I want to show you where this is true also in the Old Testament. They come into a battle. Amalek came and fought against Israel. And so Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us to go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I'll station myself at the top of the hill with my staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the mountain. So it came about that when Moses held his hand up, that Israel prevailed. And when he let it down, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands were heavy. They then took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. They were victorious because of the burden bearers, and Paul understood that. And Aristarchus was a burden bearer alongside Paul for the sake of Christ. Next we come to another interesting person, John Mark. John Mark was a guy with a complicated history with Paul. You see, Paul saw hope in him. He was Barnabas' cousin. If you look back in, in, in Acts, we read about Mark. Mark and Paul had an on-again, off-again relationship. The, Mark started, started off on um, uh, Barnabas and, and Paul, scooped him up on one of their journeys. And when the going got tough, Mark got going. 
And he didn't stick around. And it infuriated Paul that this young man wouldn't stick it out. And so there comes a time with, this, with the next missionary journey that uh, Paul went on that he and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement about Mark because Barnabas is like, hey, let's take Mark. He's like, are you kidding me? You know what happened last time. And so Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark and they went on their way and they split. And somewhere along the line, Mark came around, they reconciled, everything's good. He comments about Mark a couple different times and what does he say to the people in Colossae? He says, welcome him. Welcome him. Mark had Paul's seal of approval on him, on his life. Mark was a man with a second chance. But he tried for a while. Wasn't quite fit. The Lord redeemed it. And he did not allow his past to dictate his future. He came around. So much so that Paul's writing about him. So much so that he ends up authoring one of our gospels that we read from today. One of the three synoptic gospels, one of our four gospels that we read from. They had a complicated history but he has a second chance. Next we come to Jesus' justice. This is one of the three Jews, right, that were converted to Christianity that were actively in Paul's ministry at the time that he mentions here. Jesus' uh, justice, he, he leaves his family. And what was, what, was, what was difficult about that is, um, you know, there's certain religions in the world where if you sell out and you go all in for Christ, don't bother turning back. You're just, your family disowns you. Your friends disown you. Your community, you're not welcome there anymore. And this was his circumstance, being a Jew. But he was steadfast. He was strong in his commitment to Christ and to Paul in his ministry. And so Paul mentions him, gives him a shout out. You see these men that I'm mentioning, these people, they're not just names. That they were an instrumental part in the early church and sharing Christ. You with me today? Are we so good? It's a little different, but I, it's kind of like a processing. But I, I hope that you take heart in these things. Because we move on to Epaphras. Some believe he was, a, he was the, the founding member of the um, church in Colossae, but he's with Paul now. He ran to Paul. He ran to tell him what was going on with the church. And because of that, Paul sends the, the letter to them. He, and he sends it off with Tychicus. And, and Paul uh, and, and uh, Paphras, they, they stick around together. And he wants to stay with him for a little while longer. But in the meantime, I love how much Paul writes about him and his heart for his people. And giving an account as to why he's not there. That he's one of you, bond slave of Christ. And that he's always laboring earnestly for you in prayer. That you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. That Epaphras, this, this man, he's a fervent prayer warrior. He's agonizing for his people. That he's praying for them that they might become mature in the faith. He prayed the important stuff. He's not, he's not praying that, oh, just health and wealth, right? Like just 
just, just help them to survive and help them to what? No, he's saying, I pray that you may thrive. I pray that you may know and know without a doubt. And he's agonizing for his people. And Paul wants the church to know that Epaphras is with him and he's praying for them and he's interceding and, and offering supplication for him. And that he is with you in the fight, with you in the battle. This is Epaphras, this man. Praying that they may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God in their life. This is a pastor's prayer, friends. This is my prayer for you. That we, that we pray when people are, are, fall on times of trouble and, and that there's, there's pain, but guess what? Pain is good. Sometimes pain is what it takes to move us forward, to get out of the rut when there's discomfort. Every single one of these people, anyone who's ever done anything great for the kingdom of God knows that. And my, ultimately, my ultimate prayer for you is that you might become mature in the faith, steadfast in your knowledge and wisdom of Christ. Living lives of gratitude at the beginning of four. That's my prayer for you as well. Wise in all your dealings with the people around you in the world so that they may know that you're an ambassador for Christ. That's my prayer for you all. And then there's, there's, there's peaks and valleys along the way that we get through. But he had an eternal perspective here. And Paul wanted the people of Colossae to know that Epaphras was, in their, was, was praying for them. Next we move to Luke. Luke's the specialist. He's the physician. He's actually Paul's physician. I love how cultured Luke is and how, how he just knew how to, he was, he was a well-educated man. And he followed Paul around in his, in his, in his, in his journeys and, and he was faithful to the Lord and he didn't use his, his, uh, his unique talent and gifting for worldly gain. But he sold himself out to be a bond slave of Christ and to work alongside Paul. And when Paul would have physical issues, I'm sure Luke was there to help him, to heal him, to, to, to tend to him. Thanks be to God for Luke because he authored 52 chapters of the New Testament. Luke and Luke part two, book of Acts. We draw from so much today. Because Luke wasn't in it for worldly gain. He knew he had a talent. He knew he could get rich doing other things and, and would, could be well off. But he didn't. He walked with Paul. Paul needed him. And praise be to God for him today. Finally, we come to Demas. There's some conflicting ideas about Demas and why Paul never says anything about him other than his name, that he's just with him. Some believe that maybe they had a disagreement and they split off and he's no longer with the ministry. Some scholars believe that he just didn't end well. That he was, in, he was in ministry for a time. He was doing stuff. He, he, he was testing church out for a while. And it just wasn't for him. And he went back into the world. And there's reason to believe that maybe Demas was a man who just didn't finish well. That his heart didn't stay steadfast in the Lord. I'll tell you, as a pastor, these are the people that keep me up at night where I agonize and I wonder, what went wrong? As I watch him distracted by the world around him, 
And that quick fire within their soul, with the Holy Spirit working in them, and they just seem to quench it out because they get busy on all the other things. They move in, they transition to a new season of life, one that doesn't include Christ. They forgot to plan for Christ. They plan about everything else in their life except for Christ and how he fits into it. And so they move into a new season and they move somewhere else and they forget Christ along the way. We have reason to believe maybe this was Demas. So Paul draws a letter to a close. He says, hey, make sure you share this among you. Trade it with the latest Laodiceans. Make sure you get their letter. It's all good stuff. It's because I wrote it and you need to hear both things. So do a little, do a little swapping around. And then he says this. Say to Archippus, let him know. Take heed to the ministry which you have received, which is before you, that you may fulfill it. You see, Paul seems to draw everything to a close, and it's just like a movie, right? Where it's like all the storylines, all the plots, everything's coming together nicely, nice and neat. And then it's like the last minute of the movie, there's a twist. There's unresolved tension. There's questions to believe. Is there a sequel? What's next? Is there, are they going to make something? Are they going to make another movie? What happens? He says, say to Ariarch, uh, uh, Archippus, that you would fulfill the ministry before you. Tychicus had, Onesimus has, Aristarchus has, Mark has, Justice has, Epaphras has, Luke has. See to it that you too fulfill the ministry before you. This unresolved tension. And as we close out this letter, it's undeniable that authentic life in Christ is a team effort. And as Sarah plays over us this morning, my prayer is that we reflect. Life in Christ is a team effort, then what's your role? What's my role? You know, if I were to write a letter today of the people that are behind me, that it's easy to see, all right, he's the lead guy. He's doing the things. You will never know. The prayer warriors that have spoken into my life, those who have come alongside me to mentor, who have spoken life, I think about people around this church, the Darrens of this church, 41 years, faithful. I'll take a kiss. I'll do what you need. The dude even learned acoustic guitar just because he's just willing to give of himself. I'll be a facilities guy. I'll fix a toilet. I'll lead the people if you need. 
the Roy and Cindy Tillies as I watch them leave because they're committed to intercessory prayer. Just the next room over. The, two cl- the, the Tuesday prayer group. Faithful every week. For you, for me. Think of a mentor in my life, Greg, in Colorado. Who taught me? You know, it's funny, you're, you're young in ministry and he, you know, you think, oh, I got it all figured out. I know, it's just black and white. <laughs> it was not. He taught me to be sensitive. So many others. Cody and so many people up here, the skilled musicians, the utility people who just week in and week out, they're here at seven o'clock in the morning for you. So that you can come in half awake and they can they can help awake your soul because of the Lord. This is the church. This is what it looks like to be committed to Christ and committed to community. And this unresolved tension that Paul leaves us with is for you and for me. Will you fulfill the ministry that is before you or will you walk out until next week? And in your going, who will you be praying for? Who will you be bringing along? Who in eternity is gonna come up and say, thank you for investing in me? Thanks for taking the time. Because this is the church, friends. And guess what? 50, 60, 70 years, this room will be filled with a bunch of new people. We are the people on the earth right now. The ministry is set before us today. Do you know your purpose? Do you know your call? The tragedy for me is that I saw a stat, 87% of believers don't know their purpose. We're gonna talk about that next week. That discovery process on how to live into that because it causes us to be um, maybe apathetic or it causes, it causes paralysis, right? It's like, I don't even know what to do. God can't want something from me because I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I'm not you. I'm not, look at the names. Bunch of no-namers to us that were critical to Paul. Friends, the church needs you and you need the church. Believe me, it's messy, it's broken, it's dysfunctional sometimes, but it's the way God ordained it with Christ as the head. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the head of his church is Christ. We come behind doing the work of Christ, advancing the gospel here in Napoleon and around the world. And he says, the ministry is before you. Will you do it? Friends, the ministry is before us. Do you know your role? Have you received it? Have you prayed over it? I would love to talk to you about this if this is something you're wrestling with today. 
we know that because of Mark and Onesimus, that, that failure doesn't have to define our future, right? The past is the past, leave it there. And I think for some of us, we allow our failures and our past to be this, this obstacle before us. That God could never use me because of what I've done. Well, that's to, that's to spit on, the, on, on Christ and the, crucif- the crucifixion. You don't believe that Christ overcame that? That he couldn't overcome your failures? That there's freedom in failure, they're through failure. That if we be a, a people who are per- persistent in prayer and committed to community, that this is the church being the church. Right? Amen? These are a bunch of names, but there's people. They're people of God. And guess what? I'm going to be just another name someday. And I pray I could just make a little mark on the kingdom of God. That's my prayer for you today. Would you stand with me? Let's pray today. So Lord, as we come to the end of our time in Colossians, Lord, this this book where Christ is supreme above all, but we know that he has something for us. We see and we hear Paul's heart today, not only for the people then, but for all of us. We're the archipists of today, the ministry before us, see to it that it is fulfilled. And so Lord, would you bring people in our lives, Lord, like you've done with this church, Lord, I'm so thankful for those that you've brought before us in this church. Leaders, Lord, that we may equip to do the kingdom work, to be sent out. We know that the light that shines the furthest shines brightest at home, so may we be a well, richly knowing you, growing in you so that we may be a sent people, sharing the light and the love of Christ, the transforming power of Christ in us. Lord, I pray that you would bless my friends today. Go before them, that they would fill their minds today and this week with things of you, Lord, when they turn the radio station on, Maybe they turn to something that's God honoring instead of filling their mind with just the regular old, same old, same old, but they may hear a unique message from you. May we be active in our position in the body of Christ, not passive, active participants, committed to you, committed to community, committed to this, the body of Christ. Lord, I love each person so much. Lord, I pray they hear my heart today. That they would go encouraged for the day ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Lord be with you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.